What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from the Minnesota Timberwolves. It's a new year, and I have a new podcast here at The Ringer, Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi. Austin and I go way back and talk so much hoop already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on all of these conversations. Every week, Pasha and I will hit on the biggest stories happening in the league and get Austin's perspective of someone currently hooping in the NBA. Tap into Off Guard every Friday on The Ringer NBA Show feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer NFL Recap Show. I'm Nora Pinciotti. Sunday night of Wild Card Weekend is in the books. Three great games to talk about. The Bills, Giants, and Bengals are moving on. The Dolphins, Vikings, and Ravens are going home. Uh, I've got Steven Ruiz and Benjamin Solak here with me to break it all down. Ben, we missed you last night. I think we're going to start with the game that we just watched. Bengals 24, Ravens 17. Uh, Ravens season ends here. Bengals are moving on to play the Bills. Uh, Tyler Huntley does, does in a lot of ways, an admirable job. Surprising to see this game 17, 17 going into the fourth quarter, but let's start with where the game really hinged, which was the Ravens getting first and goal at the two, uh, and not being able to turn that into points, not only because Huntley's attempted quarterback jump sneak, uh, doesn't break the plane turns into a fumble recovered by Sam Hubbard for the Bengals, who takes it all the way back for a touchdown. Just an enormous swing of uh, win probability that is probably the reason that uh, the the Bengals moving, moving on and the Ravens are going home, even though that was sort of the expected outcome of this game. Uh, the way that it went down, sort of surprising. Let, let's start with that sequence, Ben, because I know you were... Uh, popping off about it. What did you think there? It's just what a, what a dumb way to lose a game, man. Just what a, like, just dumb. Like, not like, like Tyler Huntley is dumb. Greg Roman is dumb. But just like a dumb, awful, bad way to lose a game. They, they played such a good game. Defensively, they were awesome. They were doing good stuff on offense in terms of rotating the backs. So Tyler Huntley was making plays outside of structure, missed snap, pick it up, go find Josh Oliver running around, right? He was throwing like, you know, interception to Akeem Davis Gaither, notwithstanding he was throwing with like some timing some anticipation taking isolation throwing to the boundary he was doing what he needed to do like it was yeah. it was clunky you know there was a weird sound when he started the ignition sometimes the brakes screeched a little <laughs> bit but it was running the car was going like they this they this, hadn't like had said, a game without lamar where they'd scored more than one touchdown and then yeah. you know in, in this game where it counts they were right. at least able to do that they got and, two yeah there we go and, and <laughs> Hooray! Buddy, they almost got a third <laughs> the uh, ESPN win probability model has the Ravens at a 69% chance to win after the 35-yard scramble up from the Bengals 37, this setting up first and goal from the two. So Ravens 69% chance to win once Sam Hubbard scores his, uh, what is it, 98-yard touchdown, is it officially, right? Yeah. yeah, the Bengals are an 85.8% chance to win the game. So it's just it's just it's just like a 50 point swing, just like a 54, 54, 55 point percentage point swing on on the one play. Uh, By the way, the funniest part of that was mm-hmm. watching a lot of reporters uh, like NFL commentary at myself included, although I didn't didn't go so far as to tweet about it. Uh, try to do math because some people are doubling the probabilities. Like some people are <laughs> yeah. going, that was a 125% swing. Like guys, the guys. Ravens didn't just lose that game. hundred percent. They also lost a second game. <laughs> they didn't know they were competing and they lost win probability in that. That's what they were saving the timeouts for. Actually. It was just the other game of win probability. Right. So you're, 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 you end up with third and goal from the one on the box score, but the box score doesn't tell you where the ball exactly is. And the ball was outside of the one they had, more than three feet. They had four, maybe good five feet to go. That ball was pretty close to the two. And Tyler Huntley's arm is not a yard and a half long. So there's just no no theory here. So your first own it's your first your first blame. The, the primary bulk of the blame goes on Huntley for just situationally not knowing what he needs to do on, on a cold sneak just outside the one between the one and the two, you can't go for the leap. You have to be closer. You need to know there's enough like you got to burrow and Gus Edwards is going to push you. The pile moved forward. Yeah. But the trajectory of the quarterback, I Nate Tice had a really if, funny tweet, which was the, the Lion King meme is mm-hmm. like, he's just, he's, he's going up 
and it's not what you want to do. I actually, I actually have the next gen stats, like the actual official distance. Okay, where the ball me. was it was 0.9 Tyler Huntley's. I made that up. I don't have the next gen stats. You got me. Well, the the next gen stats thing actually did say um, that uh, the ball never got. I think it was like. It was more than 0.6 yards. Yeah, exactly. So the ball did not get within 18 inches of the goal line, right? Which, like, if 18 inches doesn't sound like a lot, like, look at, like, your forearm. Like, look at, like, go from, like, your elbow to your fingertips. Like, the ball didn't get close, man. Like, this, this was an inexcusable mistake on a goal line sneak. With that said, your second error goes to Greg Roman and John Harbaugh, who both on this drive and then on the eventual game losing drive, the two minute drill, seem just determined that the game be in Tyler Huntley's hands. Just just right. certain that the move was to let their star quarterback, their guy that they're about to give a $250 million extension that they drafted in the first round, who won MVP in the well, second season of your career. Maybe. Give, we'll yeah, talk about that give, later. Yeah, give that guy the, the, the ball, right? On first and goal, from the two, they go play action, throw to Patrick Ricard. And everybody's like, oh, well, Patrick Ricard is open. Yeah, but that's the problem when you have Tyler Huntley throwing to Patrick Ricard. It's right. a really narrow road to walk. There's not a big margin for error on that one. They get one handoff to Gus Edwards, get, you know, half a yard, a full yard, whatever it was. And then they go for the Huntley sneak, even though they're not close enough. On the two-minute drill drive. They carry two timeouts in their pocket all the way down the field, multiple times huddling on the backside of the two-minute warning. First and 10 from the 17 after a J.K. Dobbins first down. The clock runs from 111 to 35 seconds. They have two timeouts. I don't want to hear about it. We wanted to make sure Joe Burrow didn't get the football. Zach Taylor had timeouts. He wasn't calling them. He loved what yeah. you were doing. So they they did not call this game when they got into the, into the red area, when they got into scoring position as if they had a backup who's played shaky this year, who's got tendonitis in his right shoulder. And there were moments where that was good. Slug out a Demarcus Robinson touchdown. It's a ballsy call. Like there's, there's moments that works for them. But overall, they were, for some reason, determined to let Huntley impact the game this much. And he made the critical mistakes that you can imagine a backup making in the wildcard round. They lose an extremely winnable game. Why does Greg Roman want to do everything but just hand the ball off to Patrick Ricard in short yardage? He wants to have him like run a shallow route. He wants him to run to the flat. He wants him to do everything else, catch a screen pass, everything else it's except like for just be a large human being. I'm convinced that he has like he has like the prop bets that Ben has going on Sundays. <laughs> with Patrick, He's got Patrick Ricard over 0.5 catches. <laughs> ben brought this up before we started recording, and I think it's a good point. So Ben, I'm going to steal your joke here, but. If on the uh, from first and goal at the two before the fumble on the sneak, they did. Uh, uh, Gus Edwards got the handoff on one of those plays. Yeah. But what you said, which I think is really true. You have a player whose nickname is is bus. Have him do it. Try yeah. more than once. Try that twice before 200 pound Tyler Huntley is like, you know, reaching for the heavens it's the inability to accept simple situations coaches and players are so good at understanding and 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 deconstructing the complex they're so good at figuring out creative ways handling all of the minute details that when it gets to first and goal from the two and the one thing the one thing that they do better than the opposing defense is be big like is run the football like it's what they built the whole team around they cannot get their head around the fact that it's that simple it should have been under center handoff to, to Gus Edwards or J.K. Dobbins on first and goal. Under center handoff to J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards on second and goal. And then on third and goal, once you're close enough, do your little sneak jump. I don't mind the little sneak jump. It's just you got to be within 12 inches to make sure it's just boop over the line, you right? Like, wait till fourth down. You wait till Trevor down. Lawrence did it. Trevor Lawrence did it on the, on the two-point conversion for the Jags last night after they got the penalty to put the ball on the one-yard line, right? I'm not with you on this. I hate the sneak jump no matter what. Go to be, Daniel Jones did it earlier today and it worked, but his back bent 35 degrees backwards. Too many guys going the other way that are going to run into the head, neck, and shoulders area of your quarterback. Like Belichick would never let that happen. Belichick always tells you don't reach out for the end zone unless it's fourth down. And that's why. Lest we forget early in this game, uh, the, the Ravens had a third and one 
and I want to say motioned Mark Edrews into the backfield in shotgun and then handed him the ball at a same side zone run with no additional tight end blockers. Like, stop. Like, it's not even reinventing the wheel. It's reinventing a, a clearly worse wheel. It's taking a wheel and making it bad. They Just, took the Debo package and they, they, they turned it into the Mark Andrews package. It, it is coaches struggling to do the simple things when they're just presented to them. Give the ball to the back, go up 24-17, and have the defense, which was delightful in this football game, win it for you. You tell the Ravens going into the going before this game kicks off that they can either play 60 minutes or they can have the game against the Bengals. They can have, you know, the opportunity to advance in the playoffs, come down to a single short yardage sequence of play calling and and plays they would take that every time that's exactly what they would want to do so the irony that that was where where they fell short now obviously you know there was a lot of even if they'd scored there who knows what would have happened but it is surprising that they were even in position to make this a game and they lost it in a way that you would think that if they just did the easy things and they just did the simple things that they should have been able to to win it. Uh, a thing that that is impressive, even though obviously not the result they wanted. Yet another good result, relatively speaking, from Mike McDonald in that defense, uh, game planning and and going against Burrow. Um, Steven, what did you think about what they were able to do against the Bengals offense? Uh, which, you know, now is dealing with really, really significant issues on the offensive line. And that was certainly part of it. But we've now seen three games, right? Two in the regular season in this one where they've done a good job on him. So what did you think defensively uh, Baltimore did? I, I think the most impressive thing for me was how many of those like stop routes on the perimeter that Mike McDonald, the, the DC, watched get completed and that didn't like deter him from playing that shell coverage that over the top yeah. coverage not giving up anything that was discipline a lot of defensive coordinators would be like screw it i'm playing press man i'm blitzing i i, I can't take this anymore i can't keep watching completions but i thought that like kind of explains why they were so good this in this game and they took away the run game they took away the rpo game although they were getting a couple of passes off early on in the game they figured it out in the second half I've been kind of like ringing the alarm bells for the Raven or the, the Bengals offense for the past month. Cause this is kind of what it's looked like only they've gotten like amazing field position. No other team is even close to them outside of the 49ers in terms of field position since that bucks game. It's like their average drive starts at the 40 yard line. They've been really relying on turnovers and short fields. And like, I want to see this offense evolve again. We saw it evolve like in, around October needs to evolve again. Zach Taylor needs to figure out another thing. He needs to add another layer because right now it's just all on Joe Burrow to be perfect. And that's very hard, especially against smart defense coordinators. Well, and so now they're going to have to try to do that dealing with three, probably backups on the offensive line, because so uh, coming into the game, the right side of the line is a big concern, big storyline. Uh, they've lost Lyle Collins and Alex Kappa in the last few weeks of the regular season. And then during this game, Jonah Williams hurts his knee. Uh, we'll have to see what the prognosis is there, but he was ruled out fairly quickly in the game. You never want to see that. Yeah. So right now from left to right, they've got Jackson Carmen, Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, Max Sharping, and Hakeem Adenji. And, you know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's, shades of the Bengals offensive line when that was a real, real, real right. concern. It's and it's worse, I would say, because it's not like they've been playing together for a while and they kind of know, OK, here's what we can and can't get away with. Here's what we're going to help these guys. Here's what we know. They have to scramble every single week. And critically, also, it's worse because Carmen's on the field. Carmen is a liability. You, you cannot trust him to avoid penalties. You cannot trust him in pass protection. This is, this is a guy that drafted the second round. He has not worked for them at all. Uh, with Sharping and 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 Lael kind of together on one side, you're worried about stunts and games. Let's slant the protection. Let's put a tight end over there. You can kind of like, you know, two birds one stone it. You can't when you, if you can't leave your left tackle on an island, you can't help the two guys on the right. It is right. rocking a hard place right now for that offensive line. Um, the play the uh, field position point is extremely well taken. Right, the Bengals had a, had a touchdown off of uh, the Tyler Huntley turnover. They scored on the first drive out of 
the the pregame locker room and the first drive out of the halftime locker room and they scored off that turnover. That was it for the Bengals offense. Generally, they the Ravens in the meat of the game held them very well, held them excellently defensively. However, if you're going to live on turnover field positions, the Buffalo Bills are not a very bad matchup to have in the divisional round. <laughs> we, we have a way to keep this train rolling for another week. So uh, for as long as Burrow continues to play his brand of mistake-free football, which he has really dialed down on the sacks, he has dialed down on the interceptable footballs over the course of the last few months of, of NFL play, you ask that defense, hey, what you've been doing, keep doing. And, and, and we can run the football and we can throw short and we'll take all these stop routes, right? Like Steven brought up, mcdonald watching and taking all those stop routes and being comfortable with it being willing to be patient with it it also tests the patience of burrow right we're not gonna you don't get any of your 15 yard back shoulders you don't get any of your 35 yard jamar chase bombs it's just eight yard turnarounds to jamar chase are you gonna throw that on time every time or are you gonna try to try to push this football and the fact that burrow does i think is a testament to how he's matured this year and so uh the Bengals are flimsier that I think we, we we expected them to be. This was a really, really good team in like November. And I think December started started to hit into their into their projection a little bit. So they're flimsier than we thought they were. But this Bills matchup, you know, they it can make sense so long as Burrow avoids the turnovers. We'll see if you can do that behind this line. Yeah. And I I really don't like this matchup. Like the the Bills defense against this. I think it's like a totally different thing. Even if the like technically by the numbers, the Bills are probably the better defense. The way that the Ravens disguise is why. I think this offense has had so much trouble against them this year. McDonald is the best at like presenting space pre-snap and taking it away po- uh, post-snap. And you saw it on the, like the last third down where Burrow, I think Burrow made a change at the line and Collinsworth pointed it out. But at the beginning of the, like right when he got to the line, the Ravens corners were in press coverage. And then right at the last second, I don't know what they're basing the indicator on. It might be like when the center picks his head up, they drop back and they drop into cover three Burrow changed the play. Cause he thought, they were getting man coverage and he called the slant route against it. Cause that's usually, yeah. that's usually the route you call. They drop out of it. The corner drops off. Someone drops under the slant route and he takes away burrow hesitates for two seconds. And that's the play. I want to get in more to uh, this matchup with the bills and, and the bills dolphins game as well. But to just close the loop uh, on the, the Raven side of things, because their season is over now and you know, look, they were not expected to win this game with Tyler Huntley at quarterback and, and probably outperformed expectations just by keeping it close. Uh, their off season is going to be completely defined by whatever happens with Lamar Jackson did want to bring up before we go. Either of you guys think it was a little weird that he wasn't, that he didn't go to Cincinnati with them. Yeah. Yeah, Agreed. I am, I am pro player generally, and I am pro Lamar unbelievably like just as like a dude and also a dude i think should get paid because the way that he plays that wasn't like if if lamar's like got like medical pain that he's dealing with and he's got to stay home he's got to stay home if it was anything other than that if it was another move on the chessboard of contract negotiations i think that sucked the one thing i will say is like apparently he's dealing with a lot of swelling in his knee and usually flights are the worst thing for swelling yeah it's cincinnati that's a it's so but I, I, your point there is well taken. And if that is the case, then I really hope that Lamar or somebody around Lamar leak that to a reporter right now. It would, as another extremely pro Lamar person and someone who would generally like to take the side of a, a player in this situation, I would love mm-hmm. to know that information. I'm Google Mapsing Baltimore to Cincinnati as we speak. It's like a seven hour drive. Eight hour drive if you take 70 West. I'm not driving eight hours to see Patrick Ricard screen passes and Tyler Huntley throws. I'm sorry. I, I mean, you kind of got to. I feel like and, you got to. And honestly, if I'm Lamar, I'm trying to get my way out of Baltimore anyway. Right. You're, yeah, you're Miami, this is your right? island. You can hang out on your island. My statement here is not like, what a bad guy. He didn't go support his team. It, much, much more than that. It's just, this seems like bad news bears. Like, if that situation with how uh, Harbaugh talked about the injury for the last going on weeks, right? Because at first it was, oh, yeah, you know, he should be back soon. And, and then as time went on, it got less and less clear what they even really thought the prognosis was. And obviously Lamar um, tweeted out the other day that he was still dealing with swelling and and sort of hopeful. But it just doesn't make me feel good about the state of Ravens Lamar Jackson 
relations no, that it he should didn't not. either yeah. hop on a quick flight or, you know, suck it up and do the drive. It's a, it's a bad look. But can I just point out one thing? I made three appearances on the island. One was Trevor Lawrence is going to be a top 10 quarterback. The other was Daniel <laughs> Jones. They should turn him into a, a running quarterback. And then Lamar should never play another down. This was a great weekend for my island appearances. Trevor came back from 27 down. Daniel Jones looked like Michael Vick. Lamar Jackson didn't even travel for a playoff game. That's unimpeachably true. My only island appearance was don't hire any more college coaches. And I think the NFL is probably going to hire Jim Harbaugh. But he kind of is like cheating. He doesn't count. He doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also... Your your island take was not that they wouldn't. It's just that they shouldn't. Shouldn't. So. And, and also, it should be noted since then, Cliff Kingsbury has fled to Asia. So, <laughs> <laughs> so incredible. Usually, you you flee to overseas after directly after college, not before you start your pro career. It's the best story of the season. Um, <laughs> although I saw somebody saying that you need uh, to, to to enter Thailand, you need to have a return ticket. So I would love to see some follow up reporting on this this Cliff Kingsbury one way ticket know to if, Thailand. I want to know if Cliff needs a house. I want to know. I want to know if Cliff needs a house sitter. Remember, remember Prime Cliff Arizona Dude. Cardinals COVID draft. I'm just saying, somebody making sure those pipes are good. Somebody's, you know, checking on the, the the lawn. I got you. Do you think we can stay there during the Super Bowl? Pod studio. Come Whole on. Ringer staff. Video content in the living room like with the fake fireplace thing. Bachelor house. Yes. All right. Incredible stuff. Uh, speaking of which, so the Bengals are, are moving on. They'll play the Bills, uh, who beat the Dolphins 34 to 31. Another game with featuring a backup quarterback on one side that ended up being closer than usual. But Ben, you mentioned that the Bills propensity for turnovers might be a factor in this upcoming matchup with Cincinnati. And that was certainly a factor against Miami. Uh, Buffalo turned the ball over three times, uh, two Josh Allen picks and a fumble that they lost one of uh, three, but the only one of those three that they lost um, Josh himself, 16 interceptions and six lost fumbles in 17 games this mm. season. So regular season counting this one, uh, it's definitely something they do. You know, this is a fundamentally good offense, but they are careless and they'll take some risks. Um, yeah. the dolphins seemed like they fed into that because they had a pretty aggressive game plan. But Ben, what did you think about, uh, the bills offense against the dolphins mm. defense in this? Yeah. So this is a really important game. For us to understand the Bills offense, things that are sticky, things that are, are reliable, things we can we can set our watch to and things that aren't. The Bills scored 34 points. Good. That's a lot of points. Won a football game. Uh, the Bills averaged negative 0.13 EPA per play. Josh Allen averaged negative 0.17 EPA per play. Worse. Bad. That, that implies not scoring points. Some would points. say bad. Yeah. Uh, why does this why does this matter? Like, what 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 does this mean when you, you see a team with this much offensive output, and then we see like uh, by by metrics, their passing game wasn't working, and their quarterback was it was a detriment to the team, so on and so forth. It means that they live and die on a razor's edge, man. I mean, this Bills team, like, why does Josh Allen lead the league in turnovers? It's because Josh Allen is the whole offense, and with every single week, Josh is acting more like it and acting like he knows it and acting like it's the only way that he's allowed to exist and acting like it's the only possible outcome he can endure when it simply isn't like there was that drive that they walked out uh it was it was uh uh they had just lost the lead i believe it was it was a uh, 24 to 20 or whatever and they just had he had just two vertical bombs to gabe davis and then took a sack on third down and there's just open receivers short intermediate there's escape lanes there's places to go those weren't shot plays either those, yeah, those, no. you're not supposed to throw the clear out route josh yeah it, it is <laughs> Allen's ADOT. Anybody want to guess Allen's depth of target in this game? I have it in front of me, so I won't I will cheat. 12. 16. <laughs> Dude, he went full Jameis. All right. If you've ever wanted to know what Jameis Winston, like a souped up Jameis, Jameis with nitrous on a playoff game was gonna look like, this was it, 16. man. I mean, this was this was full on flamethrower. And let's let's 
compare this to like the Dolphins' defensive approach because the Dolphins' defensive approach was full on flamethrower. Cover zero blitzes, man coverage across the board, get a free rusher. The Dolphins are doing that because they are outclassed. The Dolphins are doing that because they're at a disadvantage. They want to invite chaos. They want a play to either be a 50-yard touchdown or a turnover. They, they, they need this to be nuts. That way they can score defensive touchdowns on scoop and scores. That they can get a couple of lucky coin flips and stay in a game that they don't belong in. Josh Allen is on an objectively more talented, better team. A team that is favored by 14 points, two touchdowns coming into this game. Allen needed to sit. And let the offense work for him. He needed to let Ken Dorsey call a a second and eight run and get to third and four. And then on third and four, throw to Stephon Diggs on the slant. He needed to walk the football down the field, keep this game slow, keep it under control, and just beat a worse team. Let your defense stop Skyler Thompson. Yeah, they'll give up a catch to Tyreek Hill there. They'll give us a nice run to Jeff Wilson there. But we're better than them. And instead, this game was like, Four and a half hours long. It was just chaos after ridiculous <laughs> moment, after fulcrum so moment, after watershed moment. This was not a mature game. The Bills cannot play like this and expect to beat the Bengals and the Chiefs. They might beat one of them. They might be close in both games because Allen is incredible and Diggs is incredible and Josh, the Gabe Davis is huge, so on and so forth. But this is not reliable. It's scary stuff. But why are we saying? Why are we saying the Bills? Why are we saying they? It is Josh Allen and Josh Allen only. I like the the complaints about Ken Dorsey are just beyond comprehension. If you watch this team on film, like people are open every single week, and Josh Allen is not making the throws. He's scrambling like half the time, and it makes yeah. it look like this is a one man offense. Dorsey has been like a top five offensive coordinator this year. So Dorsey's wanna, been really yeah. Dorsey's like has the the. The criticism of Ken Dorsey probably wins the award for offensive coordinator that a lot of the the team's fans don't like that I just do not understand why. He's been good. The giveaway is when you complain about passing concepts based on the the broadcast where you can literally not see downfield. <laughs> and I would say like his performance compared to Brian Dayball last year, he is far and away better than he was last right. year. Brian Dayball was bad last year. But that's times. the thing is is Dable's Bills teams won and they like you know Dable's the coordinator when when Josh got good yes, right and that's then, what it is right and then Dable went to the Giants and Daniel Jones was winning and Dable just won a playoff game so like that it's just it, it's the guy who got away you know what I'm saying it's watching Dable be so successful with with Jones and with the Giants that then goes okay well why are the Bills worse than they were well, let me put two and two together and make four. Brian Dable's doing a great job over there. It must be that Ken Dorsey's not doing as good of a job. But here's the thing. They're not worse than they were. They're second in DVOA. They are second in success rate. They are second in drive success rate. They are right. a consistent it's, it's, offense. It's, it's not. When they're worse than they were, when they, like, in that drive, in that quarter, in that moment, then it's Ken Dorsey's fault. Right. right? It's just the emotional of, none, reaction. None of the criticism is based in reality. Like, they were yeah. complaining about deep shots when they, Dorsey called mesh. Well, but also isn't some of the criticism a proxy for like, I think it's misplaced frustration with their receiver depth, which during the offseason and and preseason on paper looked like if everybody's arrows were trending up, looked like it could be really exciting and looked like, oh, my God, Gabe Davis is going to flourish into this real like true, true number two, you know, Number two, who if you didn't have Stefan Diggs, you might feel like he could be a number one maybe. And man, what's Isaiah McKenzie going to turn into? This is so exciting. They're going to have such a deep receiving core and all of these different weapons. And, you know, the, uh, Gabe Davis had a 100-yard game today. Like those are still, those are useful players, but we're talking about players who, in hindsight, that's a little bit of off-season hyperbole talking, right? Like those uh, things yeah. have not panned out in the way that a lot of Bill's fans and Bill's watchers in August might have optimistically projected that they would. And now, okay, we talk about this game. Josh Allen attempted 11 deep throws. That's the most by any quarterback in any game this season. He was four of 11 uh, for 139 yards, a touchdown and an interception on those. Now, to be fair, the interception was the uh, Xavier Howard pick on the deep ball to John Brown might have been a little bit of of pass interference on that that didn't get called um the other pick you could say it bounced off Cole Beasley's chest right like th- there's different ways to look at this stuff but 
when we talk, we're talking about a little bit of the same thing, right? Like why does Josh Allen feel like he either needs to go for the hero ball or instead of trying for a check down, using his legs as the check down. Part of that, I wonder if it's a little bit of this internalized thing of if it's not Stefan Diggs in a good matchup, the other guys are not necessarily going to go make a play. Now, I think that's a dangerous mindset. I think we've just seen, uh, and it's not just today, right? Like this has been an issue for them all season. I think we're seeing an example of why that's a dangerous mindset to have, but I do, there is a, it's not coming out of nowhere, but I think when it gets turned into criticism for Ken Dorsey, it's misplaced. Yeah. Yeah. No, I would say one of the fair criticisms, which is kind of related, but not totally is that his, his usage of the wide receivers, I, I do think is worth criticizing, but that's like a small thing in the grand scheme of things. Like Beasley is getting too many snaps. Shakir is not getting enough snaps. So that's the one thing I think you can like fairly criticize, but everything else, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just not seeing it when I watch these games. Yeah, and I think that, like, I think the Cole Beasley thing is a perfect example. I'll tell you why. Because they, they, they put Beasley on the field, and when he's on the field, they run plays for him, right? Like, it's like, all right, third and four, Beasley's on the field. Guess who's going to be the open guy on the pick play? All right, first and goal. Guess who's getting the target on the little wide receiver screen, whatever, right? It's Beasley. And then when they're not running like a, a 2021 redux where they like grabbed the Brian Dable part of the playbook that says Beasley on the top, dusted off and said, all right, this one, run this one, Josh. Beasley's not on the field. It's Khalil Shakir and it's Gabe Davis, right? So like they, they, I think they had this sensation of like, Josh is not trusting these new receivers in these concepts. Like, he's not seeing it the same way these guys are. He's not throwing it to Game Davis on this slant, whatever. Let's get Cole back here. He likes Cole. He knows Cole. And let's run right. some of the Cole favorites. And this way, like, they'll be a part of the offense that works. See, like, I yeah. think like that, I think that Cole Beasley signing and then usage is indicative of the problem that they're trying to, to solve. And, that, and that's why, like, what this boils back down to for me, Stephen, like you brought up, like this is not on Dorsey. Like, we're, why are we saying the the Bills overall? Like, this is on Allen. Schematically, I don't think it's on Dorsey. I do wonder why Josh Allen's quarterbacks coach for the last three years, twenty nineteen to twenty twenty one, Ken Dorsey, is not able to go to his quarterback and be like, "Hey, buddy, not this is not the way we we can't run it like this, right?" Like, I I, I have my like pet theory that like all coordinators in the booth are bad, and Ken Dorsey's in the booth this year, but like. It's got to be somebody's job on the sideline, like Stefan Diggs. Mitch Morris probably can't do it. I, like, what do you what do you what do you mean, like the uh, like going and for I, the home run every time, or not and not checking it down, or the Beasley target specifically? Going going for the home run, not checking it down, not yeah. not just like kind of point guarding the offense. Like like Josh is 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 playing well overall. There's no question about it. I Josh Allen second team All Pro quarterback. My about Josh having a great season, but. The Bills' offense could be better if he just took his foot off the gas a little bit, and I I wonder why nobody in Buffalo has been able to get that across to Josh. I'm no, I'm not blaming anybody. I'm just curious about it. I think he's almost cursed by what happened last January when he when they had the shootout. I also, with I've been, now I've been ever, thinking that too. Yeah, everyone just put him on the same timeline as as Mahomes. He's a younger player. He's a, a player that needs to develop. We were having these same exact conversations about Mahomes like October of last year. Right. So yeah. the fact that it's happening to Allen now isn't really a surprise. He's just like a year behind Mahomes' development in that regard. And I think like Allen thinks he needs to be ready for that game. Like I think he thinks he needs to be ready for, you He's know, playing that game for like a month and a half. Now. Yeah. Like like down three for 13 seconds left. Like I need to be ready to like make these calls align, like make this throw and like yada, yada, yada. And like, He's just so tunnel vision dialed in on being that sort of a player where it's like, Josh, dude, like step up in the pocket. And if there's six yards, talk the ball and go get the six yards and we'll take first and 10 from the 31. Like it, 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 it should, he just the, the entire Bills approach does not seem comfortable with the idea of a drive being more than five plays. Yeah. You got it. You got to be. You, you have to accept it. I just want to point out because you referenced the third and four that went to Beasley on the pick play. Mm-hmm. Stefan Diggs also got a pick play on the backside of the play. Or I don't know open. if it was the backside, and it was open. And Josh Allen decided to target Beasley. It was a pick aside situation, and he decided to target Beasley. Like that's another one. Dorsey gets the blame. Josh Allen, he can't press the button for him. 
Beasley's snap to target ratio is absurd. He's on the field like 11 times. He gets like four targets. Like, what, why? Like, what are why we doing? Beas- why did Beasley run that route at two yards of depth? It's bad. Anyway, it scored 34 points. All right, let's go to the Dolphins a little bit. Uh, look, Skylar Thompson I, gave it everything he had. Um, the stat line doesn't look great, right? 18 of 45, 220 yards, a touchdown, two picks. But he was getting hit quite a bit. He really hung in there. Uh, receivers dropped quite a few passes. There was all this stuff with... Um, the operation with the play clock and all the delay of game penalties and the false starts. Uh, so a lot of messiness, but I, I don't know, man, credit to Skylar Thompson. That's a tough spot. And it didn't look half as bad as it could have. It was, that's all I have to say for him. I mean, if we celebrated Brock Purdy yesterday, we could give Scott Thompson a little bit of love. Like for like, yeah, 40 minutes, he was playing just as well as Purdy did on Saturday. So it's fine. I, I very much agree with, with the uh, Skylar Thompson. Nice. If we're going to talk about the Brock Purdy game, like we talked about the Brock Purdy game, Skylar Thompson should start for the Dolphins next year. All right, here we go. <laughs> Easy. Uh, let's talk about the play clock stuff because so they had four false start penalties and then the real death blow in the final drive was the delay game on fourth and one. They're, they're at midfield, uh, makes it fourth and six. And Miami doesn't convert. They never got the ball back. Uh, Mike McDaniel, I guess, said that he thought they'd gotten the first down, which and therefore they didn't have the play call ready for fourth and one. That makes a lot of sense to me because they were subbing with like 10 seconds left on the play clock, it seemed like. Um, but that wasn't the only time that they had a really messy operation there. And that's been something that they've struggled with this season. You know, he's been a great play caller, but he hasn't always been a great uh, manager of the play clock. I don't quite know what to say about that other than it's just something that he's got to got to work on. Obviously, I think functioning with a with a backup quarterback um with your third string quarterback doesn't help, but it's not a great look to to have that kind of messiness in a playoff game. He's so bad at it. Like I wrote that story about the timeouts in the the middle of the week last week. I yeah. did not realize it was this big of an issue, but he wasted the most timeouts by far in the NFL last year. Like they waste so many timeouts. They still take delay of game penalties. It's, it's a disaster. He's got, I like perfect, my perfect play call syndrome, which I get given the way that he coaches, but yeah, Yeah. that's, that's, that's the thing that like, there's a lot, I think a first year head coach realizes he has to learn after his first year. And that's one of them. It's just that, that, that clock management process takes a while. There's a real, there's a lot of offensive coaches, coordinators, uh, who have done very well for themselves coming out of San Francisco. It seems as though one leaves, one tends to leave the 49ers with a little bit of difficulty getting the play call in and, and keeping things, uh, when you got to say 19,000 different words to get a play call in. And, you know, it makes the margins a little tough. And, like, another point is Mike McDaniel was not calling plays. Kyle Shanahan was calling plays. So not only is he – this is his first year as a head coach with those responsibilities. It's his first year calling plays, and he's doing both at the same time. So I I think we should give him a little grace because he did just put up 31 points. So I'm, like, willing to give him a pass and give him time to learn how to manage a game because the other work he did outside of that in this game was, like, magical stuff. I mean, that was – Getting 31 points out of Skylar Thompson. I know there were yeah. turnovers by Buffalo, but it was still impressive. I and mean, he called a good game last week and they only scored 11 points. That was not on him. No, it's just, it's, he has to get better at it. He absolutely has yes. to get better at it because it is a clear issue and it's clearly costing them. But uh, there was reporting, uh, I, I'm spacing on who it was, but I think somebody at ESPN was just shooting down rumors during this game about the idea that they would move on from from McDaniel. Where that came from, I don't know, man. Um, and I guess it's just sort of Steve Ross has a has a history of making reactionary decisions, but that guy can coach. He doesn't do it like everybody else does, and he's new at it and there are some areas for improvement. This is a really clear one, but Mike, Mike McDaniel, I think if it's not obvious to you that Mike McDaniel helps a football team, uh, 
far more than he hurts with stuff like this that he can get better at. I, I don't I don't quite know what to say to that. Um, so I'm glad that that was put to rest. What's what's the conversion rate between Skylar Thompson's A dot and Josh Allen's A dot? Because Skylar Thompson having a, an 11 yard A dot is like even more insane than Josh Allen. That's like in Josh right. Allen terms, that's like a 35 yard A dot. I will say this: uh, the Dolphins got things to figure out. No two ways about it. Corner is in a weird spot with like the Byron Jones injuries and Xavier Howard being in and out and. They they had to play a lot of young guys this year and they gotta figure that out. And then obviously quarterbacks in, in a in a totally weird spot. Just whether no matter where you fall on the Tua debate as a player, you have to go through the the Tua health and what he what he may or may not choose to do with his football future coming into this yeah. offseason and how much the Dolphins want to invest in him on a long term. But I tell you, Dolphins get corner right and quarterback right. This team will be back in the playoffs and they will be with a higher seed. And with a good chance to win one, I what they're building here is impressive. Offensive do line too. Bring, Offensive line do, too. Sorry. Yes. Do they do bring they? Josh Boyer back? Is my question because I think like with the way the the Dolphins' defense was built, I understand wanting to play a lot of man coverage like that going into the year. That's what you thought they would do. They had Byron Jones who got hurt. They had Xavier Howard who used to be a, a player that could hold up a man, but he's not that guy anymore. And I I think like Romo kind of hinted at it at the beginning of the game that the Dolphins coaches may have said something to, along those lines in the, in the production meetings, but it's obvious on tape that he's not that guy. You cannot ask him to hang up one-on-one, hang in one-on-one coverage against star wideouts. I think they might need to make a change because the fact that it, he did not recognize the liability that he had at corner in a just like in October is a bad sign. And what's up with the Josh's? They're too chaotic. Stop blitzing. <laughs> Josh Allen, stop throwing interceptions. We're canceling Josh's until we figure this out. Josh McDaniels failed to make the playoffs in the, with the Raiders. Josh Tupou is a backup nose tackle. I'm Why is he not a of, starter? I'm running out of NFL Josh's. We'll work on it. Josh Jacobs was the only one holding it down for Josh's this year. Yeah. Josh Kelly. Did Josh Kelly get one of the seven failed runs for the Chargers last night? Anyway, <laughs> these are not the important things. Maybe they are. Uh, it, just to your point about where Miami goes from here, another complicating factor, their last in the league in draft capital, five picks total in the upcoming draft, none in the first round. And uh, once they do a little bit of the regular bookkeeping with futures contracts and stuff, they're probably around $20 million over the salary cap. So largely a productive, productive year. You've got the coach. Starting to develop a scheme and offense, made some strides, but there, there's a lot to figure out there. Uh, and and first and foremost, just what's going on with the with the quarterback and and his health situation, because presumably, Tua has had some hard conversations with people telling him about the risks of repetitive head, head injuries. And that it, that's just really scary stuff. And there's sort of no way to predict how a player is going to react to that, how he he looks at his future and what type of decision he wants to make. Um, but it, it just makes this a complicated moment for Miami. But still, I think we saw just based on the fact that they were even able to be competitive in this this game, that there really still is um, some cause for optimism. The NFL playoffs are heating up and with FanDuel, every play is a rush. New customers join today so you can bet the divisional round with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up with promo code RINGERNFL. For Monday night, my favorite bet is Cowboys minus two and a half. I think they're going to beat the Bucks pretty easily. And America's number one sportsbook has all your favorite bets from the money line to point spreads to player props. Plus with FanDuel, you can even combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay all on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. FanDuel is also live in Ohio, so make sure you get in on the action with great offers just for you now and throughout January. So football fans, don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets, win or lose, with promo code RINGERNFL. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states, first online real money wager only, $10 first deposit required, Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Restrictions apply. 
See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming, or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. All right. Should we close this out with Giants-Vikings? Sure. Sure. Go Giants! All right. Well, this is probably Daniel Jones's best career game. So, uh, Steven, you're our Daniel Jones guy. Why don't you kick us off? I mean, this is this is why I think Daniel Jones has always been better than people give him credit for, because he is a useful football player. He is very athletic, as we saw. He could throw the ball decently enough. If you could just, like, get him to look at the, the right receiver and actually throw the ball, he's a good quarterback. And Dayball has unlocked that version of him this year. And he unlocked that version of him this week. The difference between this game and the last game against the Vikings was Daniel Jones just wasn't making the throws that were open. The receivers were open. He just wasn't making the throws. Either he was missing them or he, or he was holding the ball. This time he made the throws. He was decisive. He was aggressive. Like, he looked like – I don't buy into the, uh, like, oh, this guy's good in the playoffs. I, I think that's nonsense. Like, Joe Flacco, I don't think he's actually good in the playoffs. I think he got hot one year. But Daniel Jones looked like a different – it looked like a different mentality from him. Like, he looked more aggressive – he looked, especially in the pocket, he looked like he was more willing yeah. to to contest tackles, tacklers that tried to bring him down. It was a good performance from him. I think he's a good player. I don't want to go overboard, though. I feel like there's been an overreaction where people are like, oh, yeah, pay Daniel Jones. Like, no, he's fine. You can win right. with him. But we don't have to, like, go overboard with it. He's he's a, a good quarterback. I'm not going any further than that. I mean, good is strong is a strong word, too. The other thing is that, look, okay, this is the Giants' first playoff win since the 2011 Super Bowl, right? It's an awesome moment. This still, I don't think any of us think particularly highly of the Vikings, um, you know, relative to their record, but this qualifies as an upset. It was a really great game. Daniel Jones is 24-35 for 301 yards, two touchdowns. 78 yards rushing. Uh, he's the first quarterback in postseason history with 300 plus passing yards, two passing touchdowns and over 70 on the ground. He picks up seven first downs just using his legs. It's an awesome game, right? So he's he's having a fantastic game. Dable's got the aggressive play calling going. It's all really exciting. So I, I just say that because I don't want to take anything away. The Vikings defense is a bit of a privilege, right? Yeah. Because I think they had over 100 yards before contact in the first half and Daniel Jones wasn't pressured once before halftime. Um, it, it was bad. It was he like, played a good game. I don't know that this, you know, it's not the 85 bears. I, out there. I've it's made jokes awesome. about, I've made jokes about like the Shanahan McVay offense being the white privilege offense. The, the Vikings might have the first white privilege defense. <laughs> yeah. When in the regular season, when a quarterback who we know to be kind of like, middling has a really nice game against a bottom six defense by DVOA, which let's emphasize that that's what the, the Vikings are. We go, yeah, it's because of the defense they played in the playoffs. We go, what a playoff debut, Daniel Jones, baby. What extension time. It's like, listen, just because the Vikings made it here doesn't mean we wipe the slate clean on Duke Shelley and Chandon Sullivan, right? Like it's just this uh, Jones did a great job doing what he's done all season. Trusting the offense, uh, throwing on time and accurately better than he has previously, and then using his legs way better than he has previously. Overall, good report card as Daniel Jones continues to get. Let's see. Let's see. Get the Eagles defense. Pretty good pass rush. A lot of talented players. Let's let's do it again. Also helped by the aggressiveness that Dable showed, which uh, that's helped them all year. Uh, I think they've it's just such a great moment of self-awareness from a team 
uh, which I think has really defined this giant season. It's just like understanding that you need to inject chaos if you're going to outperform, which they have, right? Like not necessarily in this game. It makes sense to me that they won, but they were going to need that to, you know, especially with all the injuries that they dealt with later on in the season to be able to beat teams that a lot of people would say have a talent advantage. And the fact that they've consistently done that and did it again, you know, going, going for it on fourth and one inside the seven, instead of taking the field goal to go up seven, you wind up scoring a touchdown there that maybe should be an obvious go, but I don't think that would be to a lot of coaches. And then going again on the fourth and one from the, their own 45 with three and a half minutes left in the game get it on the Jones keeper. It forces the Vikings to burn their last time out. And that's a really smart, gutsy call, right? So, so the numbers are probably a little bit inflated because of the, the the Vikings defense. But I do think that a lot of the things that were good and that they did really well were reflections of why this team has been really exciting this season, a lot better than people thought they were going to be. And I think one thing you can say about the Vikings defense, as bad as it was, they do force you to earn things. Some Like it didn't so much happen in this game, but they force you to not make mistakes. Like that's what they capitalize on. That's what they're trying to get. The right. quarterback to throw the ball to the safety. And it, for one weekend, Daniel Jones did not do that. So I think he does deserve credit beyond like just saying the Vikings defense is bad because of that. Well, and even there was like a moment when it felt like Viking shenanigans were taken over, right? There's the Slayton yeah. drop and then there's the horrible roughing the passer call on Lawrence. And it's just like, oh my God really again and in part because of that willingness to be aggressive um and what they were able to do defensively didn't end up mattering but there was still vikings potential uh was engaged at one point during this game can i uh there's something i would like to talk about that i feel very strongly about with the new york giants absolutely benjamin this is the best the roster has been all season. And this is really important to note. Like when the Giants were like five and one and we were like, Cordell Flott, are we sure? Jason Pinnock, like, what are we doing? Like they were banged up and they were playing rookies and they were like figuring out a bunch of stuff. Like they came on Thibodeau, wasn't taking Smith snaps yet. They didn't have Jalen Smith on the roster, which like far be it from me to take Jalen Smith, like seriously as a starting linebacker in 2023. I'm not trying to do that. But the Giants, you go look through the roster, especially defensively, they were in complete and total upheaval on a week-to-week basis. Like Leonard Williams is gone, and now Xavier McKinney's yeah. gone, and now Adoree Jackson is gone. And they are just cycling through cats. Like they cannot stop getting injured. They are trying to figure out which young guys make sense where. Dane Belton's just like playing a bunch of snaps. Total mess, right? And they have just been very slowly, very gradually, very successfully. Sounds like week eight, just been climbing up out of the muck. And all of a sudden, like, I, I tell you, like, like the memes are fun. The jokes are, are a good time. This is a solid roster. Like, uh, is Isaiah Hodgins, Richie James, and Darius Slayton the best wide receiver core left in the league? No, okay? I'm not, like, I'm not trying to sell you on that. It's a solid group. Isaiah Hodgins can play. Absolutely. Isaiah Hodgins is a solid NFL receiver. Darius Slayton is a speed threat. Like, they have guys. This defense a backfield right now with Xavier McKinney healthy. Julian Love has been lights out all season. Dane Bellin, fourth-round rookie, who's played well for them and is back now with uh, Adoree Jackson returned from injury and Darnay Holmes. It's a good back. It's a good. It's a good back five again. Like it's. I'm not saying they're the Niners. I'm not saying they're the Eagles. But like the yeah, we 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 have this 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 kind of frozen, paralyzed perception of like these these ragtag giants out of nowhere, baby. No, they they got their guys back and the guys that they've had all season. These young dudes, they've got better. They've earned their reps and they are pretty solid like, again like evan neal jalen smith there's stuff you can pick on this is not the best roster in the nfc playoffs they're going to be outclassed against the eagles if they go on and they face the niners or the bucks or the cowboys they're going to be outclassed there too but this is a better roster than people realize and and kudos to the development they've done over the season kudos to the health and training staff getting these guys back they've they've got the horses so they are not there's nothing to sneeze at i brought up the point about them needing to inject chaos over the course of the season to to be able to get here particularly when a lot of those guys were either in and out or just out. It's, you know, a lot of that goes hand in hand with what we know of Wink Martindale and how he wants to play defense. It was striking to see this game and 
you know, they're going up against a Vikings offensive line that isn't particularly good, but they're just rushing four. And it's fine because Dexter Lawrence gets eight pressures. He's doing that as a pure nose tackle. Leonard Williams has seven pressures. Thibodeau has six. Um, they got 21 combined pressures as a team and 14 hits on Kirk Cousins. They're not, I, I don't know what the final splits were, but it didn't seem like they were blitzing very much. It just seemed like they were rushing for and saying, no, we're going to, we're going to get there. And then when you're doing that, it helps them on the back end have a second player bracketing Justin Jefferson pretty much all the time. And so they can put a Dory Jackson on him primarily, but he's got help a lot of the time. And, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson's night ends. He's got seven catches, 47 yards, no touchdowns. He has one catch for four yards in the second half. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of situations where you can't, you know, the Wink Martindale Tiger does not tend to change his stripes. It it seems pretty obvious that the reason why we're seeing that to some extent here is just because it's undeniable that players are good. They're good enough to do it. They don't need, they don't need it. They're good. Only six blitzes, according to wow. media. And guess what, Kirk? A hundred? Uh, no, eighty-three percent completion percentage, 0.6 EPA per dropback. So I'm happy that Wink did not give into yeah. his instinct and do that. Yeah, yeah. Wink, 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 Wink has absolutely a hundred percent grown up. It's also hard not to when you have Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and Kamon Thibodeau on the field at the same time. Holy Moses, Dexter Lawrence, man! I am, I am enamored with this guy. I you like with sexy Dexy. I sexy Dexy. I'm in. I'm all the way in. I don't know how to in like correctly enunciate how much more difficult it is to rush the passer from nose tackle than from like three technique, than from like between the guard and, and the offensive tackle, right? Like where they put Aaron Donald, where they put Chris Jones, where they put Fletcher Cox, where they I put mean, Jeffrey Simmons. I do, like I'm oversimplifying it a little bit, right? But like it's harder to run into a wall than to run into space. Right. It's, like, it's and, like getting out of a parking spot when you're parked it, when you're like double yeah. parked in. And like, he does I, it. This is this is just the only way to, to do it is is with next gen stats. Uh, I quarterback I pressure leaders. Yeah, quarterback pressure leaders this season from a zero technique alignment. Dexter Lawrence leads the league with 29. Raekwon Davis of the Dolphins is second with eight. Eight. What? That's twenty-one fewer. If, if you just if you just tripled Raekwon Davis, you'd be close. And now this isn't pressure rate, right? And so like some of this is the fact that the Giants leave Dexter Lawrence right. head up over the center. They leave him at nose when they want him to rush the passer. But the Giants leave Dexter Lawrence head up over the center when they want to rush the passer. It's it's it is bananas that this player who was like it was it was a good prospect coming out of Clemson, but it wasn't like you were writing the book on his pass rush ability that this player has become this effective getting to the passer from this role. It is unique in a league rife with incredibly talented defensive tackles. Some of the best defensive tackle play we've seen in the league. A unique, a true one of one. And he's just, he's a handful and a and half, it, sexy Dexy. I love like it. Beyond, beyond the fact that he's this good and he he's has this much production, like being able to put a guy over the center just messes with protection so much. Like you can only check into like two different protections. And then if you give that information to Wink Martindale, which I know it didn't really work out here, like that's just like giving him the answers to the test before the, before you take it. He's a, a phenomenal player. It kind of reminds me of how the Eagles used Fletcher Cox when they went to the Super Bowl. They would put him over the center at times to dictate protections. He was like right. a three-tech who is not used to being there, but it's not yeah. surprising that he was a good pass rusher. Dexter Lawrence is not supposed to be this good at rushing the passer. This was the first year I got to vote for um, all pro and, and end of season awards. And uh, when you do defensive player of the year, you rank three players. And I wanted to put, uh, I did Nick Bosa, uh, Micah Parsons, and I wanted to put Dexter Lawrence third so badly. Like I just, I really wanted to. And, Chris Jones was my third. Also, I think it doesn't really matter. The I bet Nick Bosa is going to win. Um, and it's ranked choice, so the third is is less significant. However, I went back and forth so many times that when I finally sent my ballot in, I, I hit send, and then later on, I was looking at something, and I realized that I hadn't changed the team affiliation. So it said Chris Jones. New York Giants. 
So I had to sheepishly email back and be like, hey, I kept replacing Chris Jones with Dexter Lawrence. So just to clarify, I meant to vote for Chris Jones, even though it was incredibly hard for me emotionally. You had one more chance to vote for him and you didn't do it. You let him down. I don't think I should. I, I'm I'm fine with it. But it, you are not heart, a part of the sexy Dexy conglomerate. You've been ousted. That's not fair. Absolutely not. Okay, I'm fine. You're I'm, back in. Thank you. That was hard. Uh, all right. So the the New York Giants uh, are going to pay, play Benjamin Solak's Philadelphia Eagles in divisional round. No birds. Uh, San Francisco, by the way, winner of Tampa Bay Dallas tomorrow night. What you thinking, Ben? Giants Eagles. Uh, I do think that the Giants are like a tougher out than a lot of people are are discussing them to be. I think that they have some matchups that work well against the Eagles. Namely, this is a game which Martindale can blitz and should blitz a lot. The Eagles have struggled against the blitz this year. Moves Jalen Hurts. I, I want to say the last time I looked, he was like 19th in EPA for drop back against the blitz among NFL quarterbacks, right? Takes their offense and kind of, uh, they throw a lot of screens against it through behind the line of scrimmage, right? They throw some 50-50 balls. It kind of simplifies them. So, the Giants are, are 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 I think tougher to handle. Like when they played the Eagles last, like a serious game, it was when they had like Rodarius Williams at cornerback. You know what I mean? Like it's they they got more guys now, so I think their their game plan will be a little bit better. I think it'll be closer than people realize. With that said, yeah, I would rather play that than the Cowboys. But I think I think the Cowboys are going to beat the Bucks, right? So I I I I still think it's it's the preferable draw. It's the ideal ideal draw for the Eagles. Um, so we'll see. It's it's third time seeing them. Brian Dable's a good coach. I think you know we've seen a lot of these like. Dolphins, uh, Bills a lot tighter than people thought it would be. Even Seahawks, Niners, like final score didn't say, but like the Seahawks were hanging around there for a while, right? Uh, yeah. A lot of these games I think were tighter than people realized, and so it's been an yeah. awesome weekend. Yeah, a lot of fun. I can't believe we got through all of Giants Vikings and didn't discuss Kirk Cousins throwing fourth and eight. Oh, oh I thought we were waiting for that. I thought we were saving that yeah. for last. I I'm know, ready to just... do like another hour on that. Yeah, yeah. Log in for part two of the podcast. Steven talking alone into the mic while Nora and I sleep about fourth and eight Kirk Cousins check down. Kirk played a great game. He played a great game, just like Kirk usually does. And then it came time for Kirk to make a play. And Kirk threw a two-yard out to TJ Hawkinson. And see you again next year, kids. The thing about Kirk is he's always gonna be Kirk. He's always going to be Kirk. It doesn't matter. He could throw, he could look like Patrick Mahomes for the first 58 minutes. He's going to throw that check down on fourth and eight. It does not oh, matter. That was bad. In another way, though, it was good. It was really good. It was just <laughs> prime. I saw somebody aggregating all of the snarky tweets from Packers players about how it ended for the Vikings. And it it brought me a lot of joy just because sometimes it's easy to get sort of you know, you learn more and more about the the business of football and sports and everything is sort of like, oh, you know, people are playing for money and and are all of these rivalries and things just kind of manufactured. Nope. They don't like him. They don't like this team. That made me happy. Can we also talk about uh, Thibodeau's postgame outfit? where he was wearing pajamas. He was like dressed like a sleepy Monopoly man. He had a top hat and pajamas on. Yeah, just missing oh, the monocle. The top hat. There was, oh. a, was there? Oh, there wasn't a monocle. There wasn't a monocle, no. I, like Mr. Peanut yeah. Man? Can, it was like a Twitter search came on Thibodeau right now. You need to find this. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking yeah. it up. I am positive that Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be a good player because you cannot behave this way and not be extremely good at football. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's a one-to-one correlation. Oh. Yeah. He is in deep that's, sleep right now. That's a choice. Man, that's a choice. I'm I'm for the pajamas. I love a pajama set. Uh, no, he's sleeping well right now. And he's wearing, I think the, oh, they're a little bit different. They're like the Joe Burrow glasses from last year. The top hat, I do have a lot of questions about. But It's like he, he was going for like the, the sleepy uh, Ebenezer Scrooge look but then he got the hat right. yeah he needs Instead like a sleeping uh, cap uh um the like a lantern yeah the, yeah thank you you know what they had in olden times yeah. when they needed fire we're laughing but that that man is probably deep in sleep right now he's probably getting some good z's yeah it's it's also like you know six seed road playoff game and you pack a strong post game outfit that's that's belief in the team all right he said that, he said they were sleeping on him i, yeah. I made that up but i'm I'm assuming that's what he's saying. Oh, that would be good. Yeah. If that's it. Listen, we're going to win this game. I'm not even worried about looking like a complete idiot if we lose when I walk out in pajamas and a top hat. We're going to win. 
There Here's they go. the thing. Like, did he have a hat box? Usually a hat like that. It comes in a box, like a big box, because you got to keep it yeah. safe. You can't have it get folded in on on the on the plane. I didn't see any. I didn't see any pregame entrance photos of Thibodeau. I didn't see what the pregame fit was. All Maybe right, the hat well, was included if, there as well. If any Giants reporters are listening to this, who made it an hour into this podcast with us, thank you. First of all, uh, second of all, can you follow up about the hat box? We'd really appreciate it. Also, what did the shoes look like? Slippers, or did he go like with like dress shoes to match the top hat? I want to know. <sighs> Slippers would be ideal but then you hope that he has different loafers. shoes to walk to the bus you know yeah you know you gotta you gotta go like nice nice loafers right and so that way it's it's it's, yeah, it's casual but they're also it's comfy it's good all right as much as i want to do 20 more minutes of footwear speculation uh shall we call it night folks anything else from this great weekend man football's fun no nope, yeah let's let, let's call it a night it's fourth and eight let's throw a four-yard pass <laughs> and head this thing and head on Get home here. go to bed see you guys in camp this has been the Ringer NFL Recap Show. I'm Nora Princiati. They are Stephen Rees and Benjamin Solak. Ben and Sheil will have you covered after Monday's Bucks cowboys game. That'll close out the wildcard round. We will be here for the rest of the playoffs all through the Super Bowl, breaking down all of the action. Thank you, as always, to Isaiah Blakely for production on this episode and to Arjuna Ramapal for additional production supervision. 